um, appreciate your pastor, what a man of God that he is, and um, you are very blessed to have him as your pastor. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and we'll be reading from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Now let's stand together as we honor God's word today. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then you said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive me the portion of the goods that fall, uh, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. And he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent it all, there was a severe famine in that la land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that, uh, that swine ate, and no one gave him nothing. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's highest servants have bread enough and to spare and, to per and I perish with hunger? And I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for this time of worship. And now we ask you that you will empty us of sin and self and fill us with your spirit. Lord, that we could submit to your scriptures, to your word that is inspired and infallible and inerrant, and Lord, that we will not only just understand it, but we'll submit to it.
Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And that everybody say amen and amen. You may be seated. The U.S. Air Force trains its team uh, members to uh, the soldiers to memorize two numbers that they can survive during the time of crisis. Two numbers. The first number is 98.6. 98.6. 98.6, as you know, is the optimum core body temperature. When it gets below 88, you cannot think clearly. When it drops below 82, you are toast. So they teach, first of all, that whatever they do, they must do everything they can, they can to stay warm. Now, the other number that they are to memorize is number three. Now, it's a little more complicated. It is called the rule of three. Here's what it says. You can survive three weeks without food, three weeks without water, three hours without shelter in extreme conditions, three minutes without air, but listen to this, only three seconds without hope. Three seconds without hope. Hope is essential for life. Yet everywhere I turn, there's little hope today. People have little hope that the inflation will improve, inflation will improve, and gas prices will go down. We have no hope in our government, little hope that international crises will be resolved. As I travel around the world and around this country, I see hopelessness. Yet the Bible reminds us in First. Peter chapter 1 verse 3 here's what the scripture tells us blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to what to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jesus listen to me very carefully we have the living hope because Jesus is alive, you may know right now that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Because Jesus is alive, you can know God personally. Because Jesus is alive, your prayers can be answered today. Because Jesus is alive, your sins can be forgiven. Because Jesus is alive, you can spend eternity with Christ in Jesus. We have the living hope. The question then is this. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you received him as your Savior and Lord, as your leader and forgiver? If not, we'll give you an opportunity at the end of this message to place your trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, as your leader and forgiver, your living hope. To encourage you with this decision, to encourage you with this commitment, I want to share three simple facts about how God feels about you right now. Fact number one, God values you. God values you. In this passage of Scripture, 
Jesus tells three stories. And in those three stories, we see something that is of value that is described. Three of those objects were of the extreme value to the owner. The sheep was of the tremendous, tremendous value to the shepherd. A silver coin was of the tremendous value to the woman. The younger son was of the tremendous value to the father. That's how God feels about you. God values you. God loves you. And you matter to God. Now, we have different standards, different criteria by which we measure and determine the value of an object. One, uh, one standard is who created an object, who created an object. For example, if I were to draw a painting, Dr. Tim will not pay me a dime for it. I'll have to pay him a lot of money so that he could display my painting. But then if you take Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, that painting is worth $1 billion. What's the difference? Who created the painting? According to Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 26, the scripture says, listen, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, listen to this, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God created you. Not only he created you, he created you in his image. Think about it. You have an imprint of God upon you. Now, because of sin, the image of God is distorted. But then when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then that image is repaired. The image of God is repaired in you. But then when you go to Jesus or Jesus comes to you, then that image of God is fully restored. Think about it. Based on this standard that you were created and by God and you have the imprint of God upon you, you matter to God. He loves you. You are of great value to him. Another standard by which we determine the value of an object is what that object might become. What that object might become. When a farmer looks at the seeds, what does he see? He sees the harvest. When a carpenter looks at a piece of wood, what does he see? He sees a shelf, perhaps, that he will build. When God looks at you, he sees your potential. He sees what you may become. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the power and the right to become the children of God. Without Christ, you're not a part of God's family. But when you receive Christ, you become a son, a daughter of God himself. You are adopted 
into his family. Several years ago, I traveled uh, to England to the house, and we visited uh, London, and one of the highlights is when you go to the House of Parliament. So we uh, walked around the House of Parliament and finally ended up in, in the House of Lords. In the House of Lords, that's where you have the Lords of England conduct their business. And so it's a um, room, probably a little smaller than this room, but it was full of red velvet chairs. That is the place, the cha chamber where the lords of England conduct their business. So the lady, the tour guide, was explaining what happened in that chamber. And I've been on my feet for about several hours, and those chairs looked so appealing and so inviting. And so I sat on one of those chairs. And the moment I said it, this tour guide screamed and yelled and said, Get off that seat. You cannot sit on that seat. You are not qualified. Only the lords of England can seat in that chair. Listen to me very carefully. I have absolutely no potential to become an English lord. <laughs> and it does not matter because I am the son of the Most High God. When God looks at you, he sees a potential of what you might become, a son, a daughter of the Most High God. Based on that standard, God values you. But here's another criteria, another standard that we use to determine the value of an object and that how long that object will last, how long it will last. If a car or a watch or any other object is durable, it is worth more. It is worth more. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, listen to this, what, what the scripture says, John 3, verse 36, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Who, he who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to spend eternity either in heaven with Christ or you're going to spend eternity in hell without Christ. Whether you live in hell or hell, you will last for all eternity. Based on that standard of durability, you matter to God. You are of great value to God. God loves you. Now, the greatest standard by which we determine the value of an object, that's the ultimate standard, is, by, is what you're willing to pay for an object. See, you might have a car and you think it's worth $50,000, but people are willing to pay only five. What is that car worth? Five. Whether you have a ring or a house, it really doesn't matter what you want to get out of it. What ultimately matters is what somebody is willing to pay for it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
of a lasting life. God gave his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. Based on that standard, God values you. God loves you. You matter to God. Heard about a wife that borrowed her, borrowed her father's car one day, and it was a brand new car. She took it out, and would you know it, she wrecked it. <laughs> she felt terrible. With weepy eyes and trembling hands, she reached out in her, into the glove compartment to pull out the insurance papers. She got them out, and a smile came to her face. Because right there in the middle of her insurance policy was a note written by her husband, and here's what it said. Listen to this. If you are in this envelope, it must be because you have wrecked my brand new car. But remember, sweetheart, it is you that I value and love. It is you that I value and love. This morning, I want to remind you that God values you, that God loves you, and you matter to him. It doesn't matter what is going on in your life right now. God values you and loves you. It doesn't matter where you have been or what you have done. God values you and God loves you and you matter to God. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, Christ the living hope. Why? Fact number one, God values you. Fact number two, God has declared an all-out search for you. In those three stories, we have something of value that is lost. Something of value that is lost. A sheep is lost in the wilderness, a coin in the darkness, and the sun is lost in the far country. Jesus is making a point here. Don't miss it that people without Jesus are spiritually lost. Now, lost is not a derogatory negative statement. It is a word that describes the condition of any person who does not know God as his or her forgiver and leader. Now, you might be here today, you might have had a religious experience, but if you do not have Christ, you're spiritually lost. You might have been baptized by immersion at Woodland Park Baptist Church, but if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord in your heart, you are spiritually lost. You might be a member of this church and have been a member for 50 years, but if you do not know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior and Lord, you are spiritually lost. You might be coming to this church and giving of your tithe and offering, but if you do not know Christ personally, According to the word of God, you are spiritually lost. I was talking to a man uh, the other day in New Orleans about Christ, and I asked him, I said, if you, what, what do you think, question, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? What does it take for a person to have a relationship with God? And here's what this person said in New Orleans. He said to me, for me to go to heaven, and to know God, I need to 
followed the Ten Commandments. And I've asked him, I said, well, have you followed the Ten Commandments? And he said, yes, I have followed all of them. I said, really? I said, let, let, me, let me try to clarify it. I've never met anybody who has followed all the Ten Commandments. Let's just go over them a little bit. I said, the first commandment is that we're to have only one God. Has, so think about it. Have, has God been your only God all throughout your life? The second commandment, we're not to make an idol. idol an idol is anything that you elevate above God. So you're telling me that you've never elevated anything in your life above God? The third commandment is that we're to worship God. We're not to make a graven image, which is uh, an invitation for us to worship God properly. What you're telling me is that you have worshipped God properly every time. The fourth commandment, we're to honor the Sabbath. We're to go to church. So you're telling me that you have gone to church every Sunday. The fifth commandment is we're to honor our father and mother. So you're telling me that you've honored your father, you obeyed your father and mother, the child, and honored as an adult 100%. The sixth commandment, we're not to kill, but the Bible says that even if we get angry in our heart without a cause, that we have violated this commandment. The seventh commandment, we're not to commit adultery, but Jesus goes even further and say that if you have lusted in your heart, you have committed adultery. The eighth commandment, that we are not, we're not to steal. We're not to steal. So what you're saying to me, that you've not taken anything that does not belong to you. The ninth commandment is that we're not to bear false witness. So what you're telling me, that you've never lied, not a single time. In your entire life. And the tenth commandment is that we are not to covet. So you're telling me that if in your entire life you have never coveted, you have never wanted something that belongs to somebody else, even a single time. And then I said, his name was John. I said, John, and the Bible says that if you have broken one commandment, you are guilty of breaking them all. We all, every one of us, we stand guilty of breaking God's law. And every one of us, without Christ, we are estranged from God, we are separated from God, and we are spiritually lost. But listen, because God values you, he declares an all-out search for you. Because a sheep mattered to God, uh, so much to the shepherd, he began uh, to search for the sheep. Verse 4, he searches for that one sheep until he finds it. Because the coin mattered so much for the woman, she engaged in all-out search for the coin. Verse 8. Then, uh, and what we see here, that she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. In the story of a wayward son, the father did not search for the son because he respected his son's freedom, but he kept scanning the horizon, waiting for his son. And when he finally saw his son, he ran, he ran to embrace him. That is the only time in the scripture where we see God, who is the father, in the story running to his returning son.
Now, that describes to us, those three stories describe to us the all-out, all-hands-on-deck search that God has declared for you. The all-out search was conceived in the mind of God in the eternity past. Then the all-out search preceded the full speed ahead when Jesus came into this world, lived a sinless life, then died and rose again. The search for you continued with, with, with the church uh, proclaiming the gospel faithfully through the ages and centuries, getting to our generation. Then that search continued by, uh, with the fact that the Lord has started sending people into your life to tell you about Jesus. Then he began to orchestrate circumstances to draw you unto himself. Now listen, the very fact that you are here today is the result of an all-out search by God for you. God values you. And because he values you, he has declared an all-out search for you. And fact number three encourage you today to receive Jesus, the living hope, and that is that if you are to embrace Christ as your living hope, God will celebrate you. In this three stories, in those three stories, we see when something that was valuable was lost and it was found, there was a party. There was a party. Look at uh, verse 6. It says, Verse 6, and when he comes, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. Then a woman founds her coin, she says in verse 9, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. When the father uh, uh, greets his son, he says in verse 22, For the father sent to his servants, Bring out the best rope and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here. And kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Look at verse 7. The scripture says, As I, I say to you likewise, there will be more joy where? In heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When you come to repentance, when you re re receive Jesus Christ by faith, there is a cosmic celebration that takes place in your honor. I came into faith in Christ when I was 17. There were two major influences upon uh, my life, the first influence was the influence of communism. I grew up, as Brother Tim mentioned, in the Soviet Union, in a country that is now called Kazakhstan. And, and so I was taught from the early age that there was no God, that Christianity is a crutch for the weak and uneducated. In fact, in the school, in the high school that I attended, there were only two people that had any affiliation with Protestant evangelical Christianity. It was my brother and I, out of 1,500 students. So that was the first 
major influence. The second major influence that was, it was, was the influence of Islam as uh, it was located close to Central Asia and other uh, Muslim countries. Uh, I've had a lot of friends that were becoming followers of uh, Muhammad. And then the third major influence was the influence of uh, Christianity. My parents, my grandparents were followers of Christ and they were telling me about Jesus from the earliest of my recollection. So I knew a lot about God. You know, you, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God personal. I know a lot about Bill Gates, but I do not know Bill Gates. I knew a lot since I grew up in church. I knew a lot about God, but I did not know God personal. I had a lot of head knowledge. I knew a lot of facts. I could memorize scripture and could quote you scripture. I knew a lot of facts about Jesus in my head, but I did not know Jesus in my heart. Do you know that the distance between your head and your heart is 18 inches from right here to right here, 18 inches? So if you know about Jesus in your head, but you do not know Jesus in your heart, you're running the risk of missing out on God by 18 inches, and then when you die, missing out on heaven by 18 inches. And I remember as a 17-year-old teenager listening to a message that God loved me, that I mattered to God, that he valued me, that he declared an all-out search for me, and then that if I were to repent of my sins and receive Jesus Christ by faith that heavens will rejoice. That there will be a cosmic celebration for me. And I remember Brother Tim crying out to God in my heart, repenting of my sin, turning away from my sins and turning to God for forgiveness, realizing that without Christ I was spiritually lost. And then asking Jesus, Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord, believing that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for us, that he rose from the grave. And I believe the moment that I repented of my sins and received Jesus Christ by faith, I believe there was a party in heaven. There was a celebration that took place because Jacob Kosky came to faith in Christ. I believe if today you were to repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ, there will be a celebration. Heaven will rejoice over you. You may say, well, Dr. Jake, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Well, today, if you want to repent and receive Jesus Christ, as your Savior, Lord, you need to, first of all, repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means turning. You need to turn away from the life of sin and turn to God for forgiveness. Then you need to believe in your heart that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose from the grave, that he's coming again, and you need to receive him 
into your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now as we bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask you this question. How many of you would say to me, Jake, I know that there was a moment in my life when I've repented of my sins and I received Jesus Christ into my heart. And because I've received Jesus Christ into my heart, I know I have a relationship with God through Christ. My sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven when I die. If that statement reflects your reality, if that describes you right now without head bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand right now? Thank you. Hands went up everywhere. Thank you so much. What a joy to, to see followers of Christ. Every one of us has a testimony of how God declared an all-out search for us. Every one of us. Now, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that some of you that you have not raised your hand. And could it be that you have not raised your hand is because you do not know or you are not sure. You don't know or you're not sure. Well, today you can know. Today you can be sure. We say, well, how can I know? How can I be sure? Right now you could pray with me. Prayer is a talk between you and God. Here's what you need to say. You could say it in your own words. Say it in your own heart. Here's what you need to say. You could say, dear God, say it in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but say it in your heart. You could say, dear God, I know that I have sinned. God, I ask you to forgive me. God, I ask you to cleanse me. I believe that you lived. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave. Dear Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you be my Savior and Lord right now? I want to live for you for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Now, bow your head, bow your eyes closed. If you pray that prayer and you really meant it, right now, you prayed it and you meant it, would you just slip up your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. One, two, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do right now. With our head bowed and eyes closed. You prayed that prayer and you really meant it. Only if you meant it, I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment, to step out from where you are and come to the front. We're going to have our staff members will stand, stand here. We'll have other uh, church members that will stand here to receive you and pray with you. Heaven is going to rejoice. And we want to rejoice with you right now. So right now, without head bowed and eyes closed, you pray with me. You really meant it about receiving Christ. Would you start making your way to the front right now? Without head bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around, just you. If you need to come, you pray with me and you really meant it. You obviously could open your eyes and just come. We want to wait for you right now. You come.